Welcome to Stepping Through the Old Testament. My name is Nigel Carson and today is episode 14, Stepping Through Nehemiah. The books of Nehemiah and Ezra are closely associated and in the Hebrew Bible they are both joined together as one book. Both books record the events surrounding the return of the Jewish exile to Jerusalem at the end of the Babylonian captivity. Let's take a brief reminder of how the Jewish people ended up in Babylon. There were two exiles from the two provinces of Israel. The first involved the ten tribes in the north, known as Israel, when Assyria conquered and deported them in 721 BC. The second exile involved the two tribes in the south, known as Judah. This time Babylon was a conqueror in 586 BC. It is this second exile that concerns us when we look at the book of Nehemiah. The exile of Judah lasted for 70 years. When the period of exile ended and Israel began to return to their homeland, there were in fact three returns. The first return comprised of 50,000 people in 537 BC during the reign of Cyrus when Zerubbabel was the leader of the Jews. Approximately 60 to 80 years later, there was a second return when King Artaxerxes was on the Persian throne. This second return was led by Ezra, who was a priest and a scribe. The third return took place approximately 14 years later, under Nehemiah's leadership. Nehemiah's main concern was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which had been destroyed and which left the city vulnerable to attack. The book of Nehemiah opens in the Persian city of Susa in the year 444 BC. During the time of Nehemiah, the Persian Empire had reached its greatest extent and had engulfed almost the entire Near East. In 539 BC, the Persians under King Cyrus defeated the Babylonians and incorporated the lands of Israel and Judah into their empire. The following year, King Cyrus allowed the people of Judah to return home and rebuild their temple. It was about 445 BC when Nehemiah was also granted permission to return home and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Chapter 1 begins when Nehemiah receives disturbing news from Jerusalem. A party of men who had just returned from Judah are questioned by Nehemiah regarding the remnant who had survived the exile. He also asks about the state of the city of Jerusalem. Chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 says, They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. The remainder of chapter 1 now details Nehemiah's prayer to God on behalf of his nation and the ruined city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah wants to do something to help restore security and comfort of his people and he ends his prayer by asking God to give him the favour in the presence of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia to whom he was the cupbearer. Being cupbearer involved preparing wine for the king 
and then tasting it in his presence to prove it didn't contain poison. This responsible position made him a confidant of the king, and in his relationship they probably shared personal thoughts with each other. But this position also gave him frequent access to the king's presence and made him a man of great influence as a high official in the royal household. Chapter 2 opens with the story that when Nehemiah hears the news about the ruined walls of Jerusalem and the hardship of the returned exiles, that he looked so unhappy the king asked him what the matter was. Persian law forbid anyone to be sad in the presence of the king. The idea was that the king was such a wonderful person that merely being in his presence was supposed to make you forget all of your problems and be happy. When Nehemiah looked sad, it could have been taken as a terrible insult to the king. But when the king said, this is nothing but sorrow of the heart, Nehemiah knew the king had noticed his mood and that he took it seriously. At this point, Nehemiah becomes afraid for his life, but nevertheless, he gives an honest answer to the king when asked what the matter was. In chapter 2, verse 3, he states, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Nehemiah must have been astonished at the king's response. Not only did Artaxerxes give him authority to return and rebuild the walls, but he also wrote letters of introduction to the people who had the necessary authority and materials to help Nehemiah complete his project. But while Nehemiah experienced the blessing of the king of Persia, whose heart God had touched and given him favour, the rumblings of discontent and opposition could already be heard elsewhere in the land. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 10 says, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. By the second half of chapter 2, Nehemiah is back in Jerusalem and he decides to make a secret inspection of the walls by night to assess the damage. He came to Jerusalem with a vision, but before that vision could become a reality, he had to see what had to be done and what it would cost in terms of time, effort and leadership. Beginning to communicate his vision to the Jews, he explains how God had given him favour with the king. Like all good leaders, he is able to present his vision to the people in such a way that they readily embrace it as if it were their own. Immediately they want to start rebuilding. But in chapter 2 verse 19, the voice of opposition raises his head once again, as Sanballat, Tobiah and their colleague Jeshem the Arab begin to mock and ridicule and ask the question, are you rebelling against the king? Nehemiah found that both walls and gates needed repair and he personally invested the people in the project. Each family and household were given responsibility to build a section of the wall directly opposite their own homes. Chapter 3 lists the names of the individuals and families who rebuilt the gates and the different sections of the wall they completed. 
Chapter 4 records the deepening opposition to Nehemiah and the Jews, and this took a number of different forms. The first was ridicule and mocking from Sanballat and his associate Tobiah. They claimed that even a fox climbing on the wall would knock it over. But when these taunts fell on deaf ears, they now turned to threats. Chapter 4 verses 7 and 8 records, When Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdothites, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nehemiah's response was twofold. Firstly, he prayed, and secondly, he posted a round-the-clock guard to meet the threat. Nehemiah also divided the builders into two groups. Half of them continued building the walls, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows and armour. Even the labourers ferrying materials to the builders carried their weapons and were ready to fight if attacked. Nehemiah also commanded that all the builders and workers were to remain inside Jerusalem at night to prevent their work and progress from being knocked down by their enemies. To help understand the tension and state of alert, Nehemiah records in chapter 4 verses 22 and 23, At that time I also said to the people, Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night, so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. As if the external threat from their enemies wasn't enough, Nehemiah also experienced internal problems that were beginning to demoralize his people. Chapter 5 explains that within the settlement of Jerusalem, the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. Financial transactions were taking place which contravened the Mosaic law. Interest was being charged on loans in such a way that many people were becoming crippled by debt. Nehemiah now addresses these issues and restores financial freedom to the people. He even sets his own example by not demanding the income or the provisions which were his right to claim as the governor in Jerusalem. By chapter 6 we read that the wall has been built to the point that there were no longer any gaps remaining. Sanballat, Tobiah and Jeshem now plot a conspiracy to lure Nehemiah away in an effort to harm him. Initially they offer to be friends, seeking to entice Nehemiah to come to negotiations, but he refuses to leave the walls or even to meet with them. After four failed attempts to draw him away, Sanballat sends Nehemiah an open letter and publicly accuses him of wanting to set himself up as king and that he was planning to rebel against the king of Persia. But Nehemiah was quick to see through their accusation and in chapter 6 verse 9 he pens these words. They were all trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. 
However, strong opposition continued, and Sanballat and Tobiah hire a man who pretends to be a prophet and who sends a message to Nehemiah. The message was that Nehemiah was about to be killed and that he needed to run away and hide. But again, Nehemiah's discernment came to the fore and he refused to leave the work. With his persistent and unmovable leadership and motivation, the entire city walls were built in just 52 days. And with the addition of the new gates, the city was once again secure. Chapter 6 verse 16 tell us that the enemies of the Jews were finally silenced and deflated as they realised the work had been done with the help of God. Even though the walls have been rebuilt and the gates hung, it seems that few people wanted to move in or live in the city. They still feared an attack and preferred to live in the countryside where it was easier to hide. So Nehemiah found it necessary to encourage and entice the people to come and live within Jerusalem. In chapter 7 verse 5 he explains how God put it on his heart to assemble the people and register them by families. Just as Nehemiah had toured the wall assessing the damage before rebuilding it, he now takes a census of all those who had returned from Babylon. Nehemiah's goal is to persuade the people to come back into the city and once more live where their ancestors had once lived. On completion of a census, Nehemiah knew that he had 42,360 Jews and 7,337 servants to work with. The census also records 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels and 6,720 donkeys. In chapter 8 we are introduced to Ezra who was a scribe and a teacher of the law. Approximately 14 years earlier this same Ezra had entered Jerusalem with the second set of returning exiles. Ezra's primary reason for returning to Jerusalem was to restore the religious institutions and to see the temple fully rebuilt. He also returned with a magistrate's commission in order to enforce the rule of law. We are told that on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra brought the book of the law before the assembled people and began reading it publicly on his wooden pulpit from daybreak until noon. Chapter eight, verses seven and eight tells us that along with several helpers, not only was the book read, but they would stop to explain it or to give a sense of it, so that all could understand. While reading the book of the law, the congregation realised that they should keep the Feast of Tabernacles, a Jewish harvest festival. Nehemiah explains that this was to be a joyful occasion, and so they celebrated with mirth and gladness. Chapter 8 verse 10 records Nehemiah's exhortation to the congregation when he says, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Chapter 9 reveals that over the next three weeks, the people were so moved by Ezra's teaching that they broke down and wept. 
confessing their sins and the sins of their forefathers. This shows us the difference between Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra saw the situation as a time to weep and repent, while Nehemiah encouraged the people to rejoice at what God was doing among them. At the end of their prayer of confession, Ezra arranges for the people to renew their covenant with God. The leaders, the Levites and the priests make a binding agreement and chapter 10 gives a list of all the people who signed it. Part of Nehemiah's goal was to encourage people to move back into the city and fully populate it. For more than 70 years, Jerusalem had been nothing but a ghost town. In more recent times, some people had moved back in, but the city still needed more people. The Jews now submit themselves to a lottery system, where one out of ten would be selected to move from the surrounding regions and back into the city of Jerusalem. In the end, at least 10% of Judah's population would live in Jerusalem, and chapters 11 and 12 list the people who were commended for doing so. Chapter 12 verse 27 records the dedication of the newly built walls. Nehemiah and Ezra join two groups of people who walk in opposite directions on top of the wall, singing, playing instruments with great celebration as they dedicated the walls of Jerusalem. The Levites had many responsibilities in the life and worship of Israel, and one of the most important jobs they had was to lead the people in songs of worship and praise. Such was the intensity of the celebration that verse 43 says, the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. In the final chapter of Nehemiah, we discover that Nehemiah has returned to his duties at the court of King Artaxerxes in Persia. Verse 6 tells us that he once again asks King Artaxerxes for permission to visit Jerusalem. On his return, he finds that he has to deal with some serious problems and has to put a number of reforms in place back in Jerusalem. First of all, he discovered that his enemy Tobiah, who was an Ammonite and forbidden to enter the temple according to the law of Moses, had been given a large room for personal use within the temple building. Nehemiah was furious. He threw Tobiah's household goods out of the room, ordered it to be purified and instructed that the rightful articles of the temple be returned to that room. Secondly, he discovered the wages of the Levites and temple servants had not been given to them, and as a result, they had to return to their farms to make a living. Nehemiah ordered that the necessary provisions should be brought into the temple storerooms so that the Levites could fulfill their temple service. Thirdly, the Sabbaths were not being observed as they should. Businessmen and traders brought their goods into Jerusalem on the Sabbath and sold them in contravention of the law of Moses. Nehemiah ordered the shutting of the gates every Sabbath and warned the traders that if they would do this again, they would be arrested. Finally, he had to deal with the problem of mixed marriages. Again, in contravention of the law, many Jewish men had married women from Ashdod, Ammon and Moab. 
and were in danger of bringing pagan cult religions into the nation. Nehemiah discovered that even the son of Eliashib, the high priest, had married the daughter of Sanballat, the Horonite, Nehemiah's enemy. In chapter 13, verse 25, Nehemiah records, I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Under Nehemiah's leadership, the Jews had withstood fierce opposition and threats from their enemies. Nehemiah had led by example. He had given up a respected position in the Persian palace in order to seek the welfare of his people. He had partnered with Ezra to solidify the political and spiritual foundations of the people. Nehemiah's humility before God provided an example for the people and he did not claim the glory for himself but always gave God the credit. Three times in the final chapter he asks God to remember him for the actions he has taken and that God would look on him with favour and blessing. As a man, Nehemiah put the needs of others first. He sacrificed his position of privilege and honour in the king's palace and travelled to Jerusalem to bring security and comfort to his people. Nehemiah is a picture of Christ, of whom it is said in Philippians 2 verses 6 and 7, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Nehemiah was a man who reflected this character of Jesus. Thank you for listening. In our next episode, we will be stepping through the book of Esther. God bless.